Hello, and welcome to season four of the Fashion Law Network podcast. I'm your host, Kasia Zabroska-Trobin, a patent attorney and fashion enthusiast based in Los Angeles, California. Join me as I break down legal cases, discuss recent fashion news, and demystify patent law. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of season four of the Fashion Law Network podcast. As always, thank you so, so much for joining me today. I seem to be garnering more listeners by the week, so thank you. If you're new here, welcome. And I have a great episode today all about the luxury fashion house of Missoni. And I'm sure all my fashionista listeners immediately thought of that famous zigzag chevron pattern when I said the Missoni brand. Missoni is synonymous with the pattern, and it's really what put the fashion house on the map years ago. In particular, the Missoni company is really associated with their delicate knit separates and that lightweight, really thin zigzag print. It's really a timeless classic piece. And in fact, I was just in Intermix the other week, and I saw the most beautiful cover-up in that timeless classic chevron print. The Missoni Fashion House was founded back in 1953, and the founder's daughter, Angela Missoni, led the label for many, many years. It was one of the very few major luxury fashion houses that were held majority by the, by the family. That was up until 2018, when the Missonis took the pretty radical step of relinquishing their family control, selling the company at a 41% stake to a private equity firm, for around 70 million euros. So when looking up the exchange rate to US dollars today, one euro equals, oh wow, it hasn't been this high in a long time, $1.10 US dollars. So that's 70 million euros at a rate of today, I guess it's probably around 75, 76 million dollars. And Missoni sells many items, most notably clothing, shoes, Lots of fashion accessories. They have some really beautiful headbands, beauty fragrances, and also they have a gorgeous, gorgeous home collection. One of my favorite blankets that I own is by Missoni in their beautiful zigzag print. I think it just elevates any piece of furniture when you have a beautiful throw blanket like that. So on this episode, I will begin with some brief history of the Missoni Fashion House. I'll discuss the concept of patent inventorship, and I'll go over some interesting patents and trademarks that Missoni owns. Then at the end of the episode, I'll provide my legal analysis of a situation where a non-inventor obtained a design patent for a very popular it bag that she did not invent. This is basically a cautionary tale of sitting on your intellectual property rights. Okay, so let's begin with some history of the Missoni Fashion House. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, the company was started in 1953 in Varese, Italy. And according to fashionhistorylovetoknow.com, the founder was Italian Ottavio, who they would just call Ty Missoni. He was actually a former athletic sprinter and his girlfriend, Rosita, and they together initially made tracksuits. So pretty different from what Missoni is known for now. And I guess Rosita's family were manufacturers and they had lots of knitting machines. And at the time, the knitting machines became available when the patterns were knitted only in horizontal and vertical stitches. 
the pair had the machines reconfigured for that zigzag chevron pattern. So that was kind of like a novel thing back in the 50s. And then they got married and Rosita chose to become the firm's business manager. Ty focused on the color palettes. He was more of the creative type, I guess. (laughs) And again, according to the Fashion History website, their first runway presentation was in 1967 in Florence, Italy. And the Missonis really attracted a lot of attention with that runway show, um, such as from Diana Vreeland and lots of other celebrities at the time started publicizing that Missoni zigzag style. By the 1970s, the Missoni brand was recognized worldwide as a status symbol, and they really developed their expertise in all their prints and stripes and the chevron prints and they also did something with all these little dots too which i don't think they do anymore at least i haven't seen it anyway and they also used as many as 20 different materials they would combine wool with silk and cotton in so many different color selections then in the mid 90s the daughter of the founders ty and rosita angela missoni joined the company and she kind of modernized and reinterpreted the company's image And her intent was to update the line by creating a lot of bright and sporty clothes. And since 1998, Angela has held a position of design director, of course, up until 2018 when they sold their their stake to that company. Um, And her approach to marketing the brand was kind of promoted the image of like a more youthful clientele. Her daughter, Margarita, served as her assistant, and Angela's brothers were also active in the family. She had a brother named Vittorio. He was in marketing and sales, and another brother, Luca. He directed research in fabric development and computer technology. Um, However, there's a really unfortunate tragedy that the family suffered in 2013 when Angela's oldest brother, Vittorio, the one who was in the marketing and sales for Missoni, Um, He was killed along with his wife and three friends in a plane crash off the coast of Venezuela. And then Angela and Vittorio's father, Ottavio Tai, the founder, died a few months later at the age of 92. And Angela Missoni uh, gave a really interesting quote that um, her father used to tell her. I really like this. So she said that her father never wanted a big company. He used to refuse orders when too many came in, and he would say to my mother, why take all this money and have no time to spend it? What is the point of life that's only work? We are in a different world now, and as a business, you don't have the choice to stay small. Either grow or you die. So that's kind of interesting. He was probably ahead of his time. Um, Then in the early 2000s, the company employed about 250 craftspeople, technicians and designers at their Italian um, headquarters, which is outside of Milan now. And there's lots of displays of knitting methods and scraps of fabric that lie for the public to also look at. And the Missonis describe themselves as a working team of artisans that nurture that kind of original image of Missoni. On September 13th of 2011, Missoni made headlines kind of briefly when Target stores offered a low-cost variant of their products in their stores and on their websites 
Most items sold out within 24 hours. There were long lines outside of stores and the Target website was overloaded. Some items appeared at much higher prices on eBay within hours and Target never restocked. And I guess I was part of this Missoni Target collaboration time in history because I remember waiting in line with one of my fashion-obsessed girlfriends here in Los Angeles back in 2011 when this collaboration came out. We went to the biggest Target in West Hollywood, and I think we waited for at least an hour on the opening day of this target Missoni collaboration. I had my eye on the Missoni Cruiser bike. It was a limited edition item. I still think about it sometimes. <laughs> and I remember once the store opened, there was like a crazy rush, no bike in sight, all the clothing disappeared in literally 10 minutes. I was left standing with a size XXL cardigan, way too big for me, which I ended up putting back. And my friend had a similar fate, so unfortunately we had no luck. And then in 2018, as I mentioned earlier, the Missonis took the uh, major step of relinquishing the family control of the Missoni business. They sold it to a private equity firm. And then in 2021, Angela Missoni stepped down as the helm of the women's line and Alberto Collier came in. And so that kind of ended the family reign at Missoni. Over the last 10 to 15 years, there's been a lot of consolidation of power in the fashion industry due to these huge conglomerate companies like LVMH and Caring. I've talked about those at length on my various other podcast episodes. So it's made it really difficult for smaller brands to compete for viable market share. And now let's switch gears and talk about patents and trademarks. So let's start with patents. Missoni owes over 10 patents. That's according to the United States Patent and Trademark Office database. And if you guys are new to patents and haven't listened to my first episode, where I give a pretty um, good rundown of basic patent law, I'm just going to give a quick definition of a patent here as usual. A patent is a form of intellectual property that gives its owner the legal right to exclude others from making, using, or selling a invention for a certain amount of time, and that's in exchange for publishing a public disclosure of your invention. This is where a patent attorney comes in to write the patent application for the inventor. And in order to get a patent granted, your invention must be useful, novel, and unobvious. That's kind of the legal standard. And you can even patent something that already exists as long as the improvement that you make yields unexpected results. The crux of a patent are its claims. And the claims define in technical terms the scope of protection conferred by a patent. In other words, the purpose of the claims is to define which subject matter exactly is protected by the patent. And there are three types of patents, a design patent, utility patent, and a plant patent. Utility patents protect the way something works. And a US utility patent is generally valid for 20 years from its patent priority date. Design patents protect the ornamental nature of the item only. So Missoni owns these for some of their perfume bottle designs, among some other ones. And in looking up Missoni's patent on the USPTO database, I found that the fashion house owns all design patents, which only protect the ornamental nature of an invention. 
And the most interesting ones are the design patents which relate to their fabric patterns. One is titled Fabric with Ornamentation. And when I pulled up the drawing for the patent, you see that iconic chevron zigzag, zigzag print. And the named inventor is Rosita Missoni, who we know from the background history is or was the co-founder of the Missoni Fashion House. Now, here's an interesting fact about patent law. In the United States, an inventor is the person or persons who contribute to the claims of a patentable invention. However, that's not always the case in other parts of the world. For example, in the European Patent Convention, or what's referred to as the EPC and their case law, there is no explicit or accurate definition of who exactly is a inventor. And in the US, inventing involves three stages. So your first stage is conception. Stage two is the activities leading toward a reduction to practice. And then step three is an actual reduction to practice. Oh, that's either actual or constructive. And according to the case of Trovan Limited v. Saki Mart, S.A., while an inventor or someone acting under an inventor's direction can perform the second and third stages, but only an inventor can complete the first stage, conception. So technically, if you didn't participate in the first stage, conception, then you're not really considered an inventor under the U.S. patent law rule. And note that inventorship may differ from patent ownership. So in looking at this design patent for the fabric pattern, Rosita Missoni is the inventor, but the owner of the patent is the assignee here, and it's listed as Missoni the company. So another example are the various Bottega Veneta design patents that I've discussed before, where their former creative director, Daniel Lee, is the named inventor on many of them. But the patent owner is the Bottega Veneta company. So this brings me to another really interesting point, which is employee inventors and patent ownership. Whose rights are they anyway? The American Bar Association had a really interesting article about this issue with that title that I just mentioned. Um, and I will link that article to the episode notes for this episode if anyone wants to check it out. Basically, it says that to properly protect its intellectual property, a company should ensure that all employee inventors have properly assigned ownership in their patents to the company. Indeed, all owners of a patent are required to voluntarily join as plaintiffs in order for there to be standing if you want to bring a patent infringement action. And inventors are presumed to be owners unless they have assigned their rights. And then the article goes on to cite how important it is to file these assignments promptly because waiting even more than three months can bring on various issues. So there's also a very unique and interesting fashion-based patent case related to this inventorship issue. Let's go back to 2019 when it was discovered that this not well-known Chinese, quote, inventor named Min Ling Lin was getting design patents for various it bags that were not designed by her. The main bag in this case that made headlines was the Cult Gaia Arc bag, 
It's that really famous half moon bag and it's made of these slim bamboo slats and has a top handle. It's actually a design that was inspired by traditional Japanese bag designs. It was a huge hit in 2017. I of course had to buy one and I did get my use out of it. I used it all the time. So apparently back in 2019, Min Ling Lin successfully obtained the patent design for the bamboo basket bag. And the drawing on the design patent application is of the semicircle profile, the handle, it's exactly the same as the Cult Gaia Arc bag. Now the problem with someone doing this is that Min Ling Lin may try to benefit by bypassing the litigation procedure here, which is very expensive. And she might try to get the rightful owner to give her some sort of private negotiation settlement amount here um, or charge a fee to exempt and not have to go through the patent litigation phase here. So this is basically kind of how patent trolls operate. And this tactic has been proven to be a pretty good one for patent trolls or what is called a non-practicing entity because there is a really high cost of legal fees associated with this and it's unpredictable. You don't know how long this litigation might take. And so sometimes companies who get threats of litigation um, or litigation, they might even settle what, you know, it's not really fair, but they kind of just want it to go away. So after all, in line with the patent law's stringent novelty requirement, the USPTO is not supposed to issue a patent when the claimed invention is markedly similar to one that already exists, which is called prior art, as is the case for both of the bags in question here. The other bag that Min Ling um, obtained a design patent for was for that shrimp's pearl bag. It's like a little square box. It almost looks like a little pearl encrusted lunch tote with a small handle at the top. So with trademarks more than, you kind of see this with trademarks more than patents because they are cheaper to get. And when you'll see it, when people rush to get a trademark or slogan, that's not there sometimes. But basically, if this issue is brought to the USPTO's patent trial and appeal board, meaning that Minling's success in securing patents would not carry over to prevailing in any patent infringement centric lawsuits that she might initiate, and to date, she has not filed, I don't see any infringement lawsuits based on these two design patents. I looked this patent up on the USPTO database, and I see that in July of 2021, there was something called an ex parte reexamination certificate issued. And this is a statutory procedure that permits the USPTO um, to reconsider the patentability of the claims in a issued patent in view of prior art, which was maybe not considered in the original prosecution of the application. So that's interesting. So then I did some further sleuthing and on the PAIR system, which is the Public Patent Application Information Retrieval Database, I see that the original patent examiner made a note on March 26 of 2020, so after the Cult Gaia Arc Bag design patent was granted to the wrongful inventor, and she wrote FITF set to no, revise initial settings. So that means 
first inventor to file on the application is now set to no, meaning the patent examiner determined that Minling was not the first inventor for this invention. So according to my research, it doesn't seem like this Minling person did too much damage, but still, how annoying that the cult Gaia owners probably had to hire a patent attorney, pay for the whole re-examination process. So that's, you know, just one example of how important it is not to sit on your property rights. If you have a unique invention, run and patent it quickly before somebody else does. You never know. Okay, now let's move on to trademark law. So as trademark is symbol, word, or words that are legally registered or established by use as representing a company or product, trademarks can be split into two parts, kind of character or word marks and logo marks. So character marks protect the actual word or the brand name of the company or product. So here the Missoni name would be the word mark. And then the other type of trademark is the logo. So for example, the specific way that Missoni is typed in their fancy font or that fancy letter M that they sometimes use. So in looking up some of Missoni's trademarks on the USPTO database, they have many. I see that the most recently filed trademarks are for a series of marks called Missoni Baia, B-A-I-A, and it's listed in a variety of categories in the real estate realm, interior design, and nail salon. Baia means bay in English, by the way. So the mark is basically Missoni Bay. And in looking this up online further, I saw that Missoni Baia is a 57-story condo tower with 249 units situated along Biscayne Bay in Miami, Florida. So Missoni's getting into the condo game, I guess. And their website states that Missoni Baia is a residential masterpiece created by a collab between the world-renowned Italian fashion house Missoni and the Oco Group, which is the most reputable and successful developer in Europe. This concept is not that novel in Miami because they already have lots of condo collab designs like this. For example, they have the Armani Casa Residences condo tower and the Porsche Design Building. Both are in Sunny Isles Beach, I think. That's North Miami. And both are right on the beach. I went to law school in Miami and I lived there for a while afterwards. So I got to know the city pretty well. And let me tell you, it can be truly frightening to live right on the water in one of these tall condo towers there during the hurricane seasons, which can last five to six months there. Something I had no idea about before moving there. Um, I will never forget the first year I ever moved there. I lived in an oceanfront condo on the 29th floor. They had been predicting a bad hurricane. I had no idea what I was in for. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night to the loudest, strangest, like harrowing wind sounds. And the condo tower was literally swaying. It was like being on a boat in the middle of a storm. And the glass on the windows was bubbling inside the apartment. It was beyond scary. But I guess the buildings there are made specifically to sway with the wind like that. And then the wind gets really, really strong when you're close to the ocean. But anyway, um, no matter how fancy these condos are on the ocean in Miami, I definitely see them through a different perspective after that experience. 
Um, so this Missoni building looks like it's still under construction right now. It's slated to be finished at some point in 2022. It's not done yet though. And the price range at the condo units is between 695,000 US dollars to over $4 million. And Biscayne Bay, where this Missoni building is being built, is a nice area kind of between downtown and South Beach, if you guys know Miami. It's nice, but it's not beachfront or anything. And it does get really busy in that area of town overlooking the bay. Um, in looking, I'm in the presuming rendered photos, since it's not built yet of the building online. I see lots of Missoni influences throughout the zigzag pattern they have on some of the pillars in the lobby and by the pool areas. It does look like a really beautiful building and one I may be interested to take a peek at as I'll be in Miami in a few weeks. I'd be interested to see how the Miami in the uh, Missoni influences interplay into this building. And that concludes this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and please come back in a few weeks for my next episode. Hope you have a wonderful day. Bye.